0: Good morning, Gateway. It's great to see you this morning. Happy Resurrection Day. He is risen. He is risen indeed. Amen. All right, take a seat for just a moment. We'd like to welcome everyone watching us online. We're so grateful that you're able to be with us during this celebration to worship the Lord, our risen King and Savior, the hope that we have in Christ. Just want to read a passage this morning as we start to kind of focus our hearts and what we just declared and just to read a passage of what um, happened in the Gospels at the resurrection of our Lord. This is from John chapter 20. Now on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb early while it was still dark and saw that the stone had been taken away from the tomb. So she ran and went to Simon Peter and the other disciples, the one whom Jesus loved, and said to them, They have taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we do not know where they have laid him. Then the other disciple who had reached the tomb first also went in, and he saw and believed. For as yet they didn't understand the scripture that he must rise from the dead. Then the disciples went back to their homes. But Mary stood weeping outside the tomb, and as she wept, she stooped to look into the tomb. She saw two angels in white sitting where the body of Jesus had lain, one at the head and one at the feet. And they said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? And she said to them, They have taken away my Lord, and I do not know where they have laid him. Having said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing. But she did not know that it was him. And Jesus said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? And supposing him to be the gardener, she said to him, Sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have laid him, and I will take him away. And Jesus said to her, Mary. And she turned and said to him in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher. And Jesus said to her, Do not cling to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father. But go to my brothers and say to him, I am ascending to my father and your father, to my God and your God. So Mary Magdalene went and announced to the disciples, I have seen the Lord and that he had said these things to her. Let's stand. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for your resurrection power. We thank you for the hope that we have this morning because the tomb is empty and as you have ascended. And you are now seated at the right hand of the Father, ruling and reigning over all things. That is our hope for today. That is our hope for tomorrow. That is our hope until we see you face to face. And so we celebrate that this morning as we pray, as we worship, as we hear your word being preached. God, we want to honor and glorify the name that is above every name, the name that is alive and ruling and reigning, the name of Jesus, our King. So we praise you and we worship you this morning. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.
1: Sing in the darkness. In the darkness we will we with Without hope and without, without light Till from heaven you came not right. right. There was mercy in Your eyes to fulfill the law and prophets, to a virgin came the word from a throne of endless glory to a cradle. In blood poured
2: Jesus, that we hail, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself, taking the form of a servant. Being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of the Father. All hail King Jesus. We are glad that we can join in with this bowing down lifting high with our voices and with our bodies here this morning we cannot fathom what, what you went through we can't fathom why you went through this in the, in the sense of any, anything deserved on our part we, we have nothing that would prompt this this is all out of you and, and it is an expression of your love and kindness for us we thank you We, uh, we lift up to you our, our broken and sinful still hearts that we have and pray that you would, each a passing day, make us more right with you, work within us to help us to be more pleasing in our words and our thoughts and our deeds. We, we lift up to you people that we know that are around us that don't have this truth and this hope and we pray that uh, you will prompt us in your, with your spirit to speak out, to them and to encourage them and to uh, remind or to tell of, of, that there is hope that can be hope for them and we pray for people who are doing this in the city here and around our state and in other countries that uh, this hope is being offered this good news that's being made available that they will reach out and take it up and and be able to live in this hope Part of the Puritan prayers. Adorable Redeemer, though you were lifted up on a cross, ascended to heaven, the highest heaven. Though as a man of sorrows you were crowned with thorns, you are now Lord of life wreathed with glory. Once no shame was more deep than yours, no agony more bitter, no death more cruel now no exaltation more high, no life more glorious, no advocate more effective. What more could be done than you have done? Your death is my life, your resurrection, my peace, your ascension, my hope, your prayers, my comfort. I pray that with with this author give us the insurance that In Christ, I died, and in him I rose, and in his life I live, and in his victory I triumph, and in his ascension I will be glorified. I just pray that that reality may be our hope, that we join in these songs, we join in the the celebration today for what you've done, but it was not just a historical event, it was something that's real for us now as we live our lives and walk in you, and we pray that it is more real to us as we go through each and every day. Thank you. In Jesus' precious name, amen.
3: Well, good morning, Gateway family. Uh, good Good morning. It is great to see you on this Easter resurrection morning. I want you to find John chapter 10 in your copy of God's Word or on your Bible app, John chapter 10. We come today to the most important celebration as followers of Christ. That is Resurrection Sunday, the celebration that Jesus died and rose again. Friends, that is what we have been singing about. That's what you have heard read from God's Word. That is what we have prayed in the prayers from CJ and William. And now it's what I want us to consider more in depth as we study God's Word together. Now, there's several places we could go to think about the crucifixion and resurrection of Christ, but today I want us to go to John chapter 10, a teaching of Jesus before he ever went to the cross. Here, Jesus tells his followers what he is going to do, how he is going to die, and how he's going to rise again. As he tells his disciples what is about to happen, he gives us some amazing truths that we are celebrating today. And my prayer for myself and for you, friends, is as we look at God's Word, God would take which for many of us is such a familiar story and fill our hearts with thankfulness and awe and wonder that God in his grace has saved us, that Christ went to the cross to make a way. For us. So we're gonna look at John chapter 10. We're gonna be in verses 14 to 18 this morning. As we read these verses, I want you to be looking for what do we learn about Jesus's death and resurrection? What do we learn about Jesus's death and resurrection? As we read, you're going to see this imagery in this text of Jesus saying, I lay down my life. This is an image to be aware of where Jesus is talking about his crucifixion, his going to the cross. He's laying down his life. He's voluntarily dying to accomplish something. And then he talks about taking it up Again, that is a description for the resurrection. So all throughout this text we're about to read, you're going to see him talking about his crucifixion, laying down his life, and his resurrection, taking it up again. So what do we learn about it, but friends, but not just what do we learn about it. How does this truth affect our lives? As we think about the resurrection, the truths we see here, how should this shape how you and I live each day? And every day. So, with that in view, let's look at John chapter 10, verses 14 to 18 to ask you to stand, please, in honor of the reading of the Word of God. We'll also have the words on the screen for you to help you follow along. I'm reading out the English Standard Version. John chapter 10, starting in verse 14, Jesus says, I am the good shepherd, I know my own, and my own know me. Just as the Father knows me, and I know the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep. And I have other sheep that are not of this fold. I must bring them also, and they will listen to my voice. So will be one flock, one shepherd. For this reason the Father loves me, because I lay down my life that I may take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down in my own accord. I have authority to lay it down, and I have authority to take it up again. This charge I have received from my Father. Would you pray with me? Father, thank you for revealing to us and what Christ has said and John recorded for us, these amazing truths. And oh Lord, we pray today as we open your word and study it, that your Holy Spirit would fill each one of us. Lord, we recognize our frailty. We recognize our dependence upon you for everything. And Lord, for us to understand your word and to know how it shapes and changes our lives. Lord, we need you. So we ask Holy Spirit that you would take your word this morning and apply it to each one of our lives to speak to us what we need to hear to know what it means to know you and to walk with you. And we ask it in Jesus' name, amen. Thank you, you may be seated. Now there's so much in these verses. We really need like four or five sermons to unpack these and to do justice to these this morning. But there's six things I want you to see that we learn about Jesus' death and resurrection. From these four verses here, six truths I want us to see about Jesus' death and resurrection. Then we'll bring all those together then for kind of a main idea for us to have as a takeaway from this. But six things I want us to look at to build towards that. The first thing I want you to see in this text about Jesus' death and resurrection, number one, it is primarily about God. It is primarily about God. Friends, there's a tendency in Christian culture today because of a tendency in all of our hearts to make scripture about us. And it's so easy for us to run to Scripture and look at it going, where am I here? How is this about me? How do I apply this to my life? What do I get out of this? And we tend to look at our faith in Scripture and God as being about us at the center of the story. And yes, friends, Scripture guides us and helps us and teaches us, and we don't want to minimize that. But friends, the focus of Scripture is not you and me. The focus of Scripture is God, His character, His plans, who He is. If you look back at our text we read this morning, go back to verse 14, Notice the focus of this. Notice the emphasis of this text. The eyes here are Jesus. So just look at these verses. Verse 14, I am the good shepherd. I know my own. Next verse, verse 15, the Father knows me. I know the Father. I lay down my life for the sheep. Next verse, I have other sheep. Keep going on this. I must bring them in also. Next verse, the Father loves me. I lay down my life. I take it up again. Next verse, no one takes from me. I lay it down. I have authority. I have authority. I have received this from the Father. Do you catch the gist of this and the repetitions? I, 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 the Father, the Father is back and forth. It's all about God. There's not like, you're amazing, you're amazing, you're amazing, people. That's not the focus here. The focus of the crucifixion and resurrection is God himself. And if Christ himself is all about him, why Because the crucifixion and revelation shows us who he is. It shows us the character, the nature, the attributes of God. In fact, that's where Jesus draws our attention at the beginning in verse 14. Notice, go back to that first one here. He says, I am the good shepherd. When you look at John's gospel, if you were with us about five years ago, when we walked through John's gospel, seven times in John's gospel, he gives what's called the I am statements of Jesus. Seven times Jesus declares I am. He's telling us who he is that he himself is God and he shows us what he has come to do. When we come to this verse today, we're in the fourth of the I am statements of scripture. Jesus says, "I am," he's saying, "I'm God and I am the good shepherd." Now, friends, throughout scripture, God is described as the shepherd for his people, and he calls us sheep. Now, just to again help us realize this about God, Being called sheep is not flattering, okay? This is not a compliment to us. This is a reminder of our frailty, our dependency, and our helplessness on our own. But God is a shepherd who takes care of his sheep. We see it throughout Scripture. For example, Ezekiel chapter 34, verse 30, going back to about 575 B.C., so going back over 500 years before Jesus. It's what God says. And they shall know that I, the Lord their God, are with them, and that they, the house of Israel, are my people, declares the Lord. And verse 30, and you are my, What? You're my sheep, human sheep, and my pasture, and I am your God, declares the Lord God. This is the imagery that Jesus is picking up on. Go back to verse 14 of our text today. Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. He's saying, I am God myself, and I am the one who takes care of you, my people. But he also tells us about his character here. He's not just the shepherd. He's what type of shepherd? He's the good shepherd. Now, When you look at the Greek language in which the New Testament was written, there's two different words that can be used for good. There's a word about moral goodness, but there's also a word for good that means beauty or excellence. And that's the word that's used here. Jesus is saying, I am the beautiful shepherd. I am the excellent shepherd. I am the all-beautiful, all-excellent shepherd. And the English word that I use a lot that I think encapsulates that is the word Glorious but he is the glorious shepherd. He is the beautiful one, the excellent one, and it's all about showing his glory, his nature, his character. You've heard me say it before, but one of my favorite authors has taught something that just really sticks with me. When you think about the character of God and you think about what we're celebrating on Easter, he teaches that the wisdom of God found a way for the love of God to deliver us from the wrath of God without compromising the justice of God. Because think about that. This is what we're celebrating Easter, that God in his infinite wisdom, the God who is all-knowing and knows everything, the all-wise God found a way of him from his love, from his mercy, his grace, his compassion to people to deliver us from the wrath that we deserve, the holy justice we deserve for our sin. And he did so in a way that did not in any way compromise his justice, his holiness, or his perfection. Because when we come to the cross and the crucifixion of Christ and the empty tomb and the resurrection, it's to show us who God is, because at the cross, we see his wisdom, we see his love and his mercy, but yet we also see his holiness, we see his justice, we see his wrath, we see how God views sin. The cross is where it all meets together, where we see side by side the, the holiness, of justice, the wrath of God right alongside his love, his mercy, his compassion, and his grace. We see it all there together. So friends, the death and resurrection of Jesus, number one, is primarily about God, showing off his glory, his beauty, his excellence His character. Now, before we move on to the next thing, I have a question for us out of that truth. If we believe that the the cross and the empty tomb is about Jesus and about God's glory, the question for us as we celebrate that and think about this is this, friends. Are we living our lives focused on God, or are we living our lives as if we're the center of the story? As we think about that the cross is not so much about you and me, but it's about showing God's character. When we think of our forgiveness and our identity in Christ, do we think that God is doing all this because we're amazing or because he's amazing? Are we living our lives focused on his glory or our own? The death and resurrection of Jesus is primarily about God to show us his glory and his greatness. There's a second truth here in John 10 I want us to see about the cross and about the empty tomb. And that was number two is this. It was God's plan from before time began. This was God's plan from before time began. Again, there's this repeated image that we see here throughout this text. Go to verse 17. It's one of the several places we see it. The very last phrase of verse 17, I lay down my life that I may take it up again. Again, to lay down, this is the cross, the crucifixion, what we celebrated Friday night and Good Friday. When Jesus endured the worst form of execution ever invented by mankind. When he was stripped, when he was beaten, when he was hung on a cross with his back exposed, when the nails went through his hands and his feet and he hung on the cross, that's him laying down his life. My friends, what we celebrate this morning is he didn't stay there. on the third day, he rose from the grave, a literal, bodily, historical resurrection from the grave. And that's when he says, I take it up again. Friends, as you look at this truth that Jesus laid down his life and he took it up again, one thing that becomes clear here in the rest of scripture this was not plan B for God. God wasn't up in heaven when people sinned going, oops, how do I fix this now? This was God's plan from before time began to show his mercy and his wrath side by side, to show us his holiness and his goodness side by side. God developed this plan. This is not an afterthought. This is not an accommodation to the broken. This was God's sovereign plan for Christ to do this. Look down at verse 18. You get a glimpse of this. You see, at the very end, notice this last phrase of it. This charge I have received from my Father. That God the Father willed this plan for the cross and for the empty tomb, for Christ to lay down his life and for take it up again. And that Christ himself accomplished this. He says, no one takes it from me, but I, Christ, I lay it down of my own accord. I have the authority, I have the right, I have the sovereignty to lay down my life, and I have the authority to take it up again. For that is incredible to realize that before time began all three persons of the one true God developed a plan to redeem broken humanity and ultimately to show the glory of God the Father the Son and the Holy Spirit all together developed this plan of redemption before God even made the world that's why it's fitting we sang earlier praise the father praise the son praise the spirit three and one, because the whole Godhead, the one true God, developed this plan to show God's greatness to a lost and broken world here. And so God ordained this amazing rescue plan for us. I love how Peter describes in Acts chapter 2, verse 23. This is in the time of Pentecost, and Peter is preaching. He says this, this Jesus delivered up. Now notice this, according to the definite plan and the foreknowledge of God, You crucified and killed at the hands of lawless men. This definite plan. Again, this wasn't plan B. This wasn't God in heaven going, oh, no, my perfect world got broken. I didn't see that coming. What am I going to do? This was the plan of God from before time. It was his foreknowledge. And in Scripture, foreknowledge doesn't just mean God knows what's going to happen. It means he's orchestrating it. He's planning it. And God before time planned for Jesus to be crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. That's why Paul can tell believers to have this confidence in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 4. Even as he chose us in him, notice this, before the foundation of the world, before God spoke the world into being, he already had a plan only for the cross and for the empty tomb to show his character and to redeem sinners like us. And so we can have that confidence through that. Now, that raises the question for us. If the cross, the empty tomb was God's plan before time began, friends, For you and I today, are we trusting in a God who is sovereign over all things? Are you and I trusting in a God who is sovereign over all things? Because so much of what is pushed as Christianity today is a God who is a grandfather or a genie in a bottle is going to just achieve whatever you want to achieve for your life. But that's not the message of Scripture. The message of Scripture is not for God to align himself to our dreams. The message of Scripture is for us to align ourselves to God's sovereign plan and his sovereign will. Are we hoping and trusting in a sovereign God over all things? Or we wanting God to do things our way? So the death and resurrection of Jesus, first, are primarily about God. Second, we see it's God's plan before time began. And very close to that, we see in our text, Say number three, this was Jesus's willing and joyful choice. This was Jesus's willing and joyful choice. Look back at verse number 18 this morning. Notice what Jesus says. No one takes it from me lest we have any misunderstanding here in the Greek, no one means no one, right? There's no one who takes Christ's life from him. That means Judas, though he betrayed Jesus, did not take Jesus's life. That means the religious leaders who've been scheming for time and time, for a long time here to try to kill Jesus, they didn't take his life. Pilate and the Romans and the government powers did not, though they wanted peace in the empire and would do anything to stop it, they did not take Jesus's life. The soldiers who nailed the nails into Jesus' hands and his feet, they did not take his life. Not even the crowd who wanted the murderer to be released who were saying, crucify him, crucify him, even they did not take Jesus' life. He is emphatic here, no one takes it from me. Why then did he die? Well, the very next phrase, I lay it down of my own accord. Literally means of myself. If you read out the New American Standard Bible, which is a great translation, they translate this, I lay it down of my own accord initiative. This was Christ's initiative, his will, his accord. He is sovereign over all this. In fact, he's so sovereign over all this, he even determined the timing of when he'd be arrested and crucified. John chapter 7, verse 30. If we go back just a few chapters, they, the religious leaders, were seeking to arrest Jesus, but no one laid a hand on him. They can't even get close to arresting him. Why? Because his hour had not yet come. His hour being the time that God had ordained for all this to happen. It had not yet come, so they couldn't touch him on that. Everything that we're celebrating this weekend with the death and resurrection of Christ was his perfect plan that Jesus chose to do. But I want to also remind us Jesus gladly and joyfully chose to do this. Hebrews chapter 12 verse, verse 2. We're told to look to Jesus, the founder and the perfecter of our faith, who, notice this, for the joy that was set before him. Now just let that sink in for a minute. He is about to go to the cross He's about to go through the worst form of execution ever dreamed up by wicked humanity. And for the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Now, that doesn't mean that Jesus enjoyed the suffering. If you think about what happened the night when he was betrayed and he's in the garden, he's sweating drops of blood and he's crying out to the Father, if there's any other way, for, let this cup be taken from you, but not my will, but yours be done. And though it was suffering, he endured, he did it with Joy, because he knew what it would accomplish. And so friends, for us, as we think about what it means to be a follower of Christ, for those of us who say we believe in the crucified and resurrected Jesus, are we looking to him as our example? Are we looking to him when life is hard, not wanting life just to be easy and just a walk in the park, but are we looking to him saying, Lord, give me joy even when life is hard? Do we know Christ in such a way not just our Savior, but as our Lord, to where His example becomes real in our life for the joy that was set before us, we can endure the hardships of life, knowing He is good and He is working in them. So Jesus' death and resurrection, we saw first was primarily about God. We saw second, it was God's plan before time began. And we saw that just now that Jesus willingly and joyfully went through this because He knew what it would accomplish. So what did it accomplish? That's number four this morning. Jesus' death and resurrection purchased forgiveness for sinners. That'd be us. Let's personalize it. His death and resurrection purchased forgiveness for sinners for us. Look still back at verse number 15 here, where Jesus says, Just as the Father knows me and I know the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep. Again, we are the sheep, the us. Friends, we are the sheep who've rebelled against God. We're the ones who deserve his wrath, his holy judgment on sin, because we've broken his perfect standard because we've rejected his lordship, because we've ordered our lives for self and not for him. We deserve eternal punishment. We deserve hell. Instead of giving us what we deserve, Jesus joyfully dies in our place. And Jesus in a moment takes the wrath that you and I should experience for all eternity. His death and resurrection purchases our forgiveness, which is exactly what he said he came to do. Matthew chapter one, verse 21, when the angel appears to Joseph once Mary is pregnant, he says this, She, Mary, will bear a son, and you will call his name Jesus, because for he will save his people from their sins. Jesus came on this mission to die to save us. That's why what Paul describes in 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 15, the saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance. Was it that Christ Jesus came in the world to save who? Sinners. And who are the sinners? Us. us. Yeah, he came to save sinners, us, which Paul says of whom I am. The foremost, that Christ came to die for his sheep, which is all those who will believe in him, who repent of their sins, and trust in him. Again, friends, this truth raises the question for us. If we say, Yeah, I'm a follower of Christ, I'm a Christian, are we living like a forgiven people? Friends, are we living like a forgiven people? When Christ died for our sins, we often focus on how he died to take the penalty of our sins. He took the penalty that we deserve. But friends, let's not forget when Christ died, he died to take away the power of sin in our lives. To set us free so we're no longer slaves to sin. Friends, if we say we're a follower of Christ or one who believes in Jesus' death and resurrection, are we living like a people who have been freed from sin? Is there a difference because Christ has forgiven us? So his death and resurrection is primarily about God. It's God's plan from before time began. It's something Jesus did willingly and joyfully because he knew what it would accomplish. It accomplished forgiveness of sins. But number five, it also accomplished creating a people for himself. It accomplished creating a people for himself. friends. Jesus' mission was more than just rescuing individuals. It was about taking his rescued individuals and bringing them together to become a people, to become the church, Look at verse number 16 of our text this morning. This is astonishing. We need a whole sermon on this. One. But verse 16, he says, I have other sheep that are not of this fold. I must bring them also, and they will listen to me, or listen to my voice, so there'll be one flock and one shepherd, friends. Now, this is where you and I come into this story. Friends, the first disciples were people of Jewish background. And when Jesus says, I have other sheep not of this fold, he's speaking of the Gentiles, the non-Jews. And so unless you're of Jewish background, this is now us. We are the other sheep that gets brought in to what God is doing. Jesus' plan in dying on the cross and rising. It was not just to rescue individuals from hell. It was to make a people for himself. A people that come from diverse backgrounds and nations and languages and cultures to to become together in unity, to worship him, to serve him now and for all eternity. I love the picture we get this in Revelation chapter 5 verse 9. And they sang a new song saying, worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals for you were slain and by your blood, this is what we've been celebrating all weekend, you ransom, you purchased, notice this, is, people for God from every tribe and language and people and nations. That means that Jesus died and rose again to call and to draw up believers for himself. Not just from the United States, but from the Uyghur people in China, or from the Maasai tribe in Kenya, or from the Khmer people in Cambodia. Among every ethnic group in the world, His plan is to draw out and redeem people and bring them into one united fold. First Peter chapter two verse nine. I love this, and we're going to go more in depth of this when we finish our current series in June. We're jumping into First Peter for a year, but. We'll talk more about that later. But you are a chosen race. You are a royal priesthood. You are a holy nation. Notice this is all these different ethnic groups coming together. You are a people for his possession. The Christ takes individuals from all different backgrounds, tribes, ethnic groups, languages, cultures, and he brings them together to make them not into multiple peoples, but to make them into a people, a nation for his own possession. That's what he's describing here. Go back to verse 16. That's that last race. There will be... How many flocks? One. How many flocks? One. one flock and one shepherd. This is Jesus' plan for us to create the church where believers of different backgrounds come together to worship him and serve him together. We're going to explore a lot more on that starting next week as we look from our study and rooted of what is the church. But the question for us now, if Jesus' death and resurrection were also about creating a people for himself, there's is the question for us, if we claim to be followers of Christ, do we treasure the people of God? Do we treasure the people of God? Friends, in our culture, in our lives, we kind of seem like we're jugglers. In church, is one ball of many balls that we juggle. In Christian community, in relationships with believers, in the community, it's like one ball we juggle and all these things, and it's one we drop really often when life gets busy. My friends, Jesus died to create a people to birth the church, what we sang about in the song earlier, that the church of Christ was born and the spirit lit the flame. For instance, Jesus died to create the church, to create a people for himself. Do we treasure Christian community and being united with other believers? So Jesus' death and rex- resurrection is about God. It's God's plan from before time, something Jesus willingly and joyfully did because it accomplished forgiveness of sins and it accomplished creating a people for himself. One last thing I want you to see of all these truths out of this text Number six, Jesus died and rose again to have a personal relationship with each of his sheep, to have a personal relationship with each of his sheep. Yes, he created the church. Yes, he created a unified people, but this is not just a mass of people. It's like, oh good, I've got more numbers out there following me. This is about a real relationship with him, with each of his followers. He calls each sheep into a personal relationship with him. He personally knows each sheep and he personally walks through life with each of his sheep. Go back to verse 14. It's a verse that we need to memorize, meditate on, think about and dwell on because there's so much hope in this verse. He says, "I am the good shepherd." I what? Know. I know my own and my own what? Know me. know me. Yeah, it's all about knowing Christ. Now, this word know is not about intellectual assent. Yes, we know facts. If you have a friendship with a person or your spouse or your kids or your parents, you know them, you know truths about them. When we talk about knowing someone, it's not just we can list off of a list of facts about them. We're in a relationship with them where we understand them and they understand us and we spend time together. Friends, if you are in Christ, he brought you into a real relationship with himself. So I was studying this week. I came across this quote from one of the authors I was reading and it just, I thought it was so good. I wanna share it with you. He said, Christianity is not merely being saved from sin and death and judgment. It also means having a living shepherd to guide you and feed you and heal you and protect you and help you love. The words of verse 14 are astonishing. If you've ever dreamed of a deep, deep, deep relationship, I know my own and my own know me. Even as the Father knows me and I know the Father, he went on and say, Jesus took his life back again from the dead so that we might have that kind of personal relationship with all his sheep. He did this so he could have a personal relationship with all his sheep. Friends, Jesus did not just die and rise again to check off the box. So we can check off the box. Great, I prayed a prayer. I'm going to heaven. I'm done. I'm going to live my life like I want. He died and rose again so that he could have a personal relationship with us where we know him and he knows us and we walk through life with him. Friends, there's so much hope in that. That God has created us by design, by name, and even though we rebelled, he looked upon us in our sin and could have justly left us lost there. Instead, he purchased our salvation, but he takes us even further. He says, walk with me, know me, I know you come have a relationship with me. Which again raises the question for us, friends. If we say we're followers of Christ, if we say we're Christians, are we doing that because we don't want to go to hell or because we know the shepherd? Is it because we just want our sins forgiven because we want to have a real relationship with a shepherd who walks through life with us? And friends, are we taking time each day to know God, to read his word, to pray, to talk to him, to worship him? Are we taking time to know him because we really believe he is our shepherd? Now let's bring all that together. That's a lot, but of those six truths, here's what I want you to see as we try to bring all this together. Here's the main idea of this text I want us to take away. And it's simply this. Jesus willingly died and rose again, To bring us into a real relationship with Himself that gives Him glory and gives us the joy. I think if you want one sentence to summarize John 10 14, 18, I think that's it. That Jesus willingly did this. This was God's plan from before time began. It's something that Jesus joyfully did. He joyfully endured the cross. Why? Because He knew what it would accomplish. It would bring us into a real relationship with Himself. It would bring others into a real relationship with himself. He would take people of diverse backgrounds and different languages and different cultures and different races and different walks of life and bring them together and unite them together as his people. And when he did that, it gives him great glory because it shows his beauty. It shows his wisdom. It shows his love. It shows his righteousness. It shows his wrath. It shows his goodness all at the same time. And he gets the glory from it all. And friends, the good news, we get the joy. We get the hope. that said at the beginning, this is not about us. The cross and the empty tomb was not primarily about us. It's about God's glory. But friends, we get the benefit. We get the joy of having a shepherd who died and rose again, who showed his greatness and is so loving us and is holding us that we have hope, we have purpose, we have meaning because we belong to him. He gets the glory, we get the joy. So I'm gonna leave you with one last question in light of all this. I know I've given you six questions to already think about this rest of this Easter weekend, but one more that I'm gonna bring it all together with simply this question, friends. Do You really know him. Not do you just know about him, but do you really personally know him? On this Easter Sunday, can you say with confidence, I know the good shepherd. I know him personally, and he knows me. In these verses, you realize as we read this, there were no commands for us, but there were two descriptions of sheep who follow him. Look at verse 14 here. Here's the first description of us. He says, I am the good shepherd. I know my own, and my own know me. Yeah, my own know me. Friends, true Christians don't just know about God. They know him personally. So friends, can you say this morning, yes, I know the good shepherd. I know Christ. There's one other description of followers of Christ here in all this text that's about Jesus, and that's verse number 16. And look at what it says in verse 16. I have other sheep that are not of this fold. I must bring them also, and they will what? They will listen to my voice, friends. So maybe you could ask the question another way, not just do you know him, Are you listening to him? Has there come a time when his words in Scripture came alive to you and you listened to his words in Scripture and you went, Yes, he is God. I am a sinner. I need him. You cried out in repentance asking him to be not just your Savior from sin, but be the Lord, the master of your life. As we see over and over in our study of Scripture, true faith changes us. God's not calling us to pray a prayer to get out of hell. He's calling us to a living faith that changes us and transforms us. And one way he changes us when we know him is we want to know him more. So maybe the question is not have we listened to his voice, but are we still listening to his voice? Do we desire to hear his voice in scripture? Do we desire for the Holy Spirit to fill us and to lead us and to guide us? Do we long to follow him? Friends, Jesus willingly died and rose again to bring us into a real, a genuine, and authentic relationship with himself, one where we know him and he knows us, that will give him glory and give us great joy. So friends, on this Easter Sunday, is that you? Do you know him? If not, what better day to cry out to him and ask him, Lord, I don't know you, I want to know you. And if you're not sure how to even begin, we have a bunch of us around here who could talk to you. Let me just ask our elders and deacons, just raise your hand. If you're an elder or deacon here, lift up your hands. Elders and deacons, Look around you. In every section around you, there's someone who's an elder or deacon here. Find one of these brothers. If you're like, I I don't know Christ. I don't even know what to do. This doesn't make sense. And talk to one of those guys. But for many of you who I know well, and you know Christ and you love him because he is a good shepherd for you, this Easter Sunday, friends, treasure that. Rejoice in that. Marvel at the fact that this was God's good plan from before time began. It was God's will for you to be saved from before time began. And marvel at the fact that you get to know the good shepherd and the good shepherd knows you. And let that give you hope and joy and peace as we walk through this week ahead. Would you pray with me? Father, we are thankful for your word. Oh, Lord, what a treasure we have been given that we can read your word and we can study your word and we can talk about your word. Lord, help us treasure that you've recorded your voice for us in the pages of Scripture. And Lord, on this Easter Sunday, as we think about Christ's resurrection from the dead, and Lord Jesus, that you are alive, I pray that this truth would not just be some interesting theological thought or some interesting philosophical idea for us. I pray this truth would take root in my heart and the heart of these precious brothers and sisters, and this truth would radically change us. Or we ask that as we ponder the resurrection of Christ today, as we keep thinking about it, as we're family and friends today, as we go through this week ahead, that you would remind us all throughout this week that you are the good shepherd and that you know us and you're calling us to know you more. So if there's anyone here who does not know you, Lord, I pray that you would stir their hearts to see your glory and your beauty and your excellence and your goodness and they would want to know you, their creator. So that they have a God-shaped void in their heart that only you can fill. And Lord, for the many, many who are here, who I see the joy of Christ in them, and Lord, who are walking with you and know you, I pray today that you would just encourage them, Lord, that you would fill their hearts with awe and wonder at what the Lord Jesus did for them, and that Jesus, you died on the cross and you showed us the glory of God, but you also redeemed us, and that we would today just rejoice in the fact that we are your children, we'd rejoice today in the fact that you are holding us and that you are ruling and reigning over all things, including our lives. Lord, make us a thankful people. Make us a worshipful people. Make us a joyful people today, knowing that we know the good shepherd and he knows us. And we ask it all in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Would you stand as we sing our closing song? before I pray for us, would you take a moment just where you're standing, reflect on what a love and what a cross. Thank God for his mercy. Thank God for his grace and ask him to give you grace this week to live in light of the cross. thankful that we get to celebrate this glorious truth together today. Lord Jesus, that you endured the cross, you despised its shame to make us redeemed and to make us part of your people. And Lord Jesus, we are so thankful that you did not remain in the grave, but you rose on the third day defeating death. And Lord, we know that believing in you now that death will be defeated for us one day as well. We get to enjoy eternity with you forever in your presence where we see your glory and your beauty. Lord, help us live in light of the cross, but also help us live this week in light of eternity, longing for that day we see you face to face. So Lord, thank you for the joy of Easter celebration. Lord, we pray you would not be limited to this day. The sense of excitement and hope and peace and joy we find we carry through all this week and the weeks to come. And we know you've not promised that we would have an easy life or trial or pain-free life. Lord, we pray as we walk through the ups and downs of the weeks and months and years to come, we find the same hope in the resurrection we find today. Lord, for your glory and for our joy, we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you, Gateway family, and happy Easter.